This episode of The Clear Out was recorded on the 22nd of June 2022 at home in Wicklow. And it is the first part of a really in-depth interview with the author and artist and childhood abuse survivor, Ashleen Cregan. Ashleen is a Dublin woman who grew up in the 1970s as the child of alcoholic parents and she was subjected to really a reign of terror and uh, awful physical and emotional abuse uh, throughout her childhood um, and worse was to come. Ashleen has recorded her story. She has written her account of her experiences in a terrific book called I Am Someone. You heard me refer to this book a couple of weeks ago and I said then I was hoping I might have a chance to speak to her and luckily Ashley was able to come down and sit with me here in hashtag blessed and we spent a few hours going into it all and what we came up with and what I'm going to share with you this week and next week uh, is the is the interview in two parts. Um, we we spent about an hour before we started recording just getting a feel for each other and setting down some conditions for what would be covered in the interview and yeah we just enjoyed a really a really nice connection and we let the conversation move around a little bit but uh, ultimately I think we we were successful in bringing out the story a bit more and uh, I tried to let Ashling speak for her experience and what she's hoping um, the book will do. So in this episode you're going to hear really really us talking about the 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 childhood primarily and her her journey towards towards a little bit of hope um, when she was in primary school um, and we're covering some quite confronting material. Nothing is too explicit or gratuitous, but I am going to just give you a, a trigger warning. Um, if you're someone who's had experience of abuse um, at any stage in your life, this could this could be something that you might find upsetting or confronting or challenging um, but hopefully you'll also find it inspiring and and moving and thought-provoking. Um, I certainly did and uh, it, it was a great pleasure and a great privilege to to spend that time with Ashling. and sure you never know we might um I might end up having her on, on, on the clear out again at some point. So, yeah, so here it comes. So this is me talking to Ashleen Cregan uh, about her life and her very recently published book, which is called I Am Someone, 
published by Gill Books, and you should be able to find that in bookshops around the country and in libraries around the country as well. So this is me talking to Ashleen Cregan in the first part of our lengthy interview. Uh, I hope you enjoy it. Cheers. Not gonna change my mind Leaving the dream behind Okay, so Ashley Cregan, you are very, very welcome to uh, to the tell. That's how I refer to the, the, the podcast. It's it's a tell, it's not a show. Thank um, you, John. Yeah, listen, you have written a fantastic book. A fantastic book. I uh, I was blown away by it. I picked it up. It, 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 I think it was only a week ago. And so it's amazing that we, we got you in here so quickly to come and chat to us about it. Thank um, you. I'm absolutely delighted to be here. I Look, we have a mutual friend and she said, you've got to read this book. And I had it on the table and I was kind of going, yeah, I'll get to that at some point. And, you know, as someone who writes a little and has notions of trying to write something long form at some point, I'd be like, okay, that's, a, that's an Irish writer. That's someone who did it, and I've always got time to go. Well, the very least I can do is pick it up and give it a give it a try. Um, and I had the recommendation from our from our mutual friend. Thanks, thanks, Rachel. Absolutely. And um, absolutely, I picked it up last week. I was my wife and I were still in isolation with our our COVID, and I basically couldn't put it down. I mean, it's a total cliche, but I was compelled almost from the first couple of pages. And I obviously had to stop here and there for you know family stuff, and but I, I read it through and I finished it this you know that night. Um, I was kind of I was out in the other room reading it in poor light, and it's obviously it's a memoir, mm. it's autobiographical, it's a profoundly personal story, mm. and I can't remember the last time I I cried so much, uh, reading a book, um. Cried movies all the time, <laughs> but I think there. I'd say it was half a dozen times I found myself in tears. And look, I haven't. You know, look, we uh, we can revisit some of those moments yeah. as we continue yes. talking. Yeah. But um, how how would you summarize the? I mean. I, I spoke about your book briefly last in in, in a previous episode, mm. you know, two episodes ago, and I, I didn't give too much away. Yeah. Um, how would you just describe this to someone? Like, they know nothing about you. They don't. Maybe they don't even know anything about mm. like Ireland, Dublin in the seventies and eighties. Give it to me in a nutshell. How would you pitch that to to that person? Okay, so basically, I come from a large Dublin family. Um, I'm the youngest in that family and I grew up in a very chaotic household both my parents were alcoholics and it's a story it's my journey spoken through the eyes of a child through my small self and it's a story it's it's absolutely horrific in places but I look at it as a story of great hope and resilience and strength. And, you know, it was only when somebody said to me, 
you know, Ashling, you have a story inside you and you have a duty to get that story out there to young people. And it was like somebody flicked a light switch. Mm. And I realised, yes, I do. I need to tell this story. And it needs to get into the hands of people who have been through traumatic experiences or are in traumatic experiences. And I have to say, Dara, if I had this book to read when I was 16, it would have given me even more strength, I think, to carry on. Because when you're in a situation like that and you're scared, you just feel, you feel very lonely at the time. Extremely lonely. And mm. especially when you're, you're a young kid or a teenager, yeah. you, don't, you don't have the means to, to get out. You're too young to work, to earn money, to, to, get, to get transport, to, to go anywhere. So you're, you're stuck in that situation until you're 16. And um, you just don't know where to turn. It's funny, I remember reading when I was about 14, uh, Christina Noble's story, oh, yeah. Bridge Across My Sorrows. Yeah. And that was, it was her story from, from adulthood on, you know, it wasn't her early, um, early life. And I remember thinking, wow, the strength that she had. But I remember thinking, I wish I, I wish I knew what had happened. I know she had a tough mm. um, childhood as well. And I was thinking, I wish I knew more about her as a younger person. Um, but I, I still, she gave me strength in that book. Um, but that was the only reference I had. Yeah. You know, I didn't have any other reference. And, and that, I suppose, is what I'm, I'm, uh, I'm hoping for in my own story. And also we have, we have this, this, in Ireland, this attitude of, oh, sure, look, if, you know, that was all in the past, sure, aren't mm. you grand now, sure, move on, you know, you have a grand mm. house and sure, you're working and you have a lovely <laughs> partner and sure, look, you know, what's the problem? Yeah. But the problem there is in society, we end up with this paranoia. Yeah. And secrets, you know, secrets in, in you, you hold secrets because, because you always felt you couldn't speak about it because people are telling you to move on you end up then yourself with these these secrets and you're, you you feel well sure i can't talk about that mm. but the problem is these secrets and paranoia manifest themselves in families and they go through i think they can go through five to eight generations in the family you Which know extraordinary and it has an effect on 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 um on everybody and 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 you know, nobody knows where this this initiated from. Yeah. So that's what I wanted to. Uh, I wanted to stop. You know, because I thought I can't. I have. I. I should be able to tell my story and and not feel shamed. Yeah. Or have this this weight on me. Yeah. Because, I think I honestly believe. I just think we're so important as human beings and we have one little shot in life yeah. and we're not here that long. Yeah. And, you know, it's it's a way of, yeah, why can't we speak? It's, um, yeah, no, brilliant. I love all of that. I think um, it's it's how I would think of it is having ownership of your your story and ownership of your, you know, yeah, your narrative and your identity and... You know what what you're referring to back there i mean there's the the idea of conspiracies of silence and unfortunately you know irish history like modern irish history and the 
the, the movement into independence and sort of living in the I mean I don't want to be over dramatic about it but to, to, to be living in the, in the shadow of a very severe um, forbidding Catholicism through the, the 50s and 60s um, and the 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 inflexibility, I think, mm. of the value system and the punitive aspect mm. of of lapsing and moving away from what was held up as the the the, you know, the, the Catholic moral ideal, yes, yes. and how many people suffered because of that, mm. and how many women in particular, yes, I think, would have yes, suffered because yes, of that. Yes. Um, and then you look at the things that happened in you know foster homes in mm. catholic education in some situations in the mother and child homes the the magdalens all of this horrible stuff um you know these stories of abuse um and how and it's something that you know it's something that you tap into in in the in your book and what you just alluded to when you were you were speaking before the sense of people sort of looking away mm. and the sense of people not wanting to know and not speaking about it and not acknowledging it and therefore you're rendered invisible mm. and you're rendered voiceless absolutely um and i thought um you know there's a very you know one of many in the book but there's particularly you know moving passage i felt when you're describing your father's funeral mm. and you're this small child and you're looking up at all these people and no one's really acknowledging you yeah. and no one's really going, hey, you just lost your daddy. Yes. yes. And you're, you, you know, you capture your, I, I wouldn't describe it as rage, but there's a, you know, your, 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 your frustration of not being seen um, is so palpable. Huge. And particularly, you know, in, in the 70s, look, the attitude towards children, you were just, you were more invisible, a lot more. You were told, you know, yeah. to go here, to sit here, to stay there, to don't move. You know, you weren't given, you weren't allowed to, to you know, be given the voice that, that hopefully more children are now. Sure. Um, yeah, you, you were just told to just stay quiet, basically. And, uh, you know, it's just... Uh, yes, I, it, it, I think it may. I mean, I'm, I'm just thinking it through as you're saying that. I, I think it wouldn't have occurred to people apart from maybe professionals in like psychology or you know, if there was anyone working in kind of child behavioral science at that time, you know, it wouldn't have, occur, it wouldn't have occurred to the, the average punter on the street that there was an internal life in a child, um, that like adult life was the thing, absolutely. And I mean, the thing is, in the 70s, society wasn't equipped in Ireland mm. to, to deal with children as they are now. I'm not saying things are a whole lot better now mm. um, because of resources and all the rest of it, but society wasn't equipped in the 70s to, to deal with children going through very difficult situations. Mm. And, 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 and you know, you know, obviously you were a child in the 70s, I was only a few years behind you, mm. coming up 70s, 80s yes, as well. Yes. Um, and the point I was making before about the idea, I, I mean, I referred to the you know the 50s and the 60s yes. and you know this 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 iteration of irish society yeah. that you know we look at images from them and like my god 
goodness, that was a different country, that was a different time. Um, and, you know, that may be stating the obvious, you look at any country and you go back yes. 80 years and you go, yes. well, yeah, of course. Yes. But there was something about Ireland, you know, this, you know, the country on that, you know, with the Western extreme of Europe, the island separated from maybe more sophisticated parts of Europe and yes. the world separated by the Atlantic with, you know, booming yes. America, you know, America, the sort of apex of modernity. Mm. Um, and somehow we were this third world backwater, um, you know, deeply conservative and you know your parents my parents really like they were the, the the children of that time and they that's what they grew up with i, I, I mean a, a very um i mean i suppose like a, a very rigid oppressive society absolutely and i mean the idea for you know to progress in the but your look i mean my mother got a, a scholarship you know, to go and do to go and do nursing, yeah. and um, she couldn't do it because she had to stay and work in the family business. And I mean, that was to you know right up until she went into the uh, until she got uh, dementia. She said to me, you know, she said I always resented that, mm. and I believe I honestly believe she would have made an amazing nurse if she was able to follow her dream. Yeah, you know, and maybe part of that has contributed to her poor mental health. Yeah. you know and maybe that's where a lot of that anger and frustration was coming from i'm not certainly not condoning mm. the behavior but i'm just saying it could have attributed to that and, yeah. and towards her alcoholism yeah but i think in ireland i know it's just my opinion that yeah up up until maybe recently in the last 20 years there was this thing of sure aren't you above yourself now Do you know i mm. mean for for my mother who's in her early 90s now to have gone as far as her, her leaving cert yeah. was huge, yeah. absolutely huge, and then to get the scholarship and all the rest. So, I mean, she had those opportunities that so many other people didn't mm. have. And when people did kind of, uh, you know, move on or whatever in society, there was always this, you know, people winking and nudging to each other and shahood is your one thing yeah. you are now you yeah. know we tend to and actually to this day people tend to and jokingly say but it's it's not a joke um sure isn't it you know you say oh look sure i was away at the weekend there in Kerry or oh sure's no well for you exactly sure's no well for you <laughs> it's, it's nice, actually was, not yeah. yeah but it's not a nice no look it's i was not, i was talking about this sure that's great yeah. I, absolutely delighted to be ashling or you know i'm, I'm going to get uh, i don't know i'm going to change a car and just your I'll get maybe one that's maybe three, four years. Ah, oh, sure, there's money. Oh, yeah. Do you know, instead of back. saying, yeah, it's, instead of this, we tend to do it. And actually, and I have to say, sometimes I even might catch myself doing but it's not, it's not healthy. It's not no, good. Look, we, I was, we tend to be on that side of things. I know exactly what you mean. I was talking about this on... Um, and is it a cultural, is it yeah, an Irish... I think it is. No, I was talking about this you know, on Don't last, get above yourself yeah, kind of thing. I was talking about this on last week's episode. And yeah. I was talking about our the Irish kind of predilection for self-deprecation, yes. you know, to just play it down. And I was making a joke. I was saying there should be a mental health campaign, a mental health awareness campaign that says it's okay to like yourself. Absolutely. And I kept escalating it. And my joke was by the edge of people saying it's okay to cherish yourself. Absolutely. And I said people would be vomiting at the sight of that billboard. They Absolutely. couldn't handle the idea. 
And I was just saying, if that's not an indictment of the national psyche oh. of this damaged nation. But your Dara, look, it's like it's like you you know, if you're if you're looking uh, you know, you come in wearing something, I don't know, if you're wearing a new suit or something, you know, um, and and somebody might say Jeez, that's a beautiful suit. We tend to, I think, as a culture, just from observing people, we tend to say, ah, that's only an old thing I have for 20 years, instead of saying, thank you. Yeah. You know, you're, oh, yeah. Look, no. you're looking well, thank you. But it's, it's as you say, it's the whole, it's our psyche. Yeah. You know, it's our psyche. And that goes back to then this whole thing of secrets and, you know, shh, yeah. don't, don't get yourself yeah. out there. Stay in your little box. But staying in your little box is exhausting, it's tiring, and it makes us ill, it makes us sick because it manifests itself. And, you know, if you can't get it out there exactly. verbally or, you know, through painting or writing yeah. or going up the field and doing your yoga or your yeah. whatever it is you're doing, singing, Irish dancing, it, it, it stops this flow. It, it creates inflammation in the body. I really yeah. do believe that. Oh, it just makes definitely. us ill. Well, it's... You know, like that's it's certainly one of the reasons I've ended up doing something like the podcast. Yeah. It's why for whatever eight years I wrote about emotional and psychological yes. well being on, yes. on, on the blog and I recognized there were two you know, there was it was I was achieving two things. One, it was just an outlet. Yes. And it was a way of the way I thought of it was I'm just getting stuff out of my head. Yes. Understanding, you know, my emotional state and my psychological yes. state. And I'm gonna benefit from this. And yes. The act of writing, the uh, the act of putting something out there for me, uh, I I I chose to understand that as a creative process, yes. and then that was beneficial to me as well because I had me acting and I was kind of, you know, doing things that weren't really permitting an artistic outlet. Yes, yes. And that that you know I've I've kind of managed to kind of scratch both itches. So yeah, I'll do a bit of writing yeah. and I'll do something creative. And even the way I, I do my podcast, it's rarely researched, it's rarely planned. I have a kernel of an idea and yeah. I'll just go, right, there's my window yeah, going, yeah. press record, it's organic. go, let's see what happens. Organic. And yeah, it's organic. And yeah. you know, that can mean it might be a little bit flabby in places. Yes, it yeah. might not be yeah. totally kind of cogent. But That's life. for me, it's like, well, look, it's, you know, it, it's putting something out there. Yeah. It's an outlet. It's, you know, yeah. I, I, I have the kind of pretension that it's a, it's a form of advocacy yes. as well. Um, I'm trying to demonstrate I'm benefiting from this. I know. And vicariously as a, as a listener, you may also be benefiting yes. from this. Yes. And it's in this area of how we make sense yes. of ourselves, of life, of whatever our personal legacy is of damage of trauma yeah, yeah, yeah. and keep stepping into it keep stepping into it but that's what you were just saying there you know about your you writing yeah you know and like i say it doesn't matter what your outlet is i look that's to me that's play we're mm. playing and that's i think as children what i know in my own situation when i was younger i felt like i had been born i went from being born to becoming an adult because i had a lot of responsibility from my parents to keep them basically from 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 choking at night and, mm. and you know vomiting or whatever uh you know turning my father's head after he just drank too much so he yeah. wouldn't choke and um, so i i was very much i always felt i just felt very old when i was a child so i didn't look and as regards growing up in the 70s i didn't think about it in a social sense because my journey was just going from hour to hour sure. 
and keeping another couple of people alive you know I my parents because I knew I knew at the end of the day I, I couldn't move so they had to they were looking after me yeah I'll be in a very strange way yeah so that was I was in a strange situation and I find myself now I'm almost 52 and I have to say I I look I play now you know I, I paint I, yeah. I, I shoot a few arrows yeah and um, do a bit of horse riding you know whenever I can I don't have my own horse but you know, I go to the stables down the road, and I, I, I don't look on those things as 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 hobbies or whatever. I look and I play. Sure. I can be silly now. I can be really, you know. Stu- yeah. And it's it's fantastic, and we we need to play more as adults. And I remember watching Amadeus yeah. uh, years ago whenever yeah, yeah. it came Tom out. Pulse, yeah. And you know, I love a bit. I know nothing about classical music, but I love listening to Mozart's piano concertos when I'm painting. It just okay. the notes actually apparently. Um, Mozart's music is fantastic for infants. Yes. Because the notes, they're just, and it does something to my brain. I find a lot of music very jarring and, mm. and disturbing, even a lot of uh, relaxing music. But anyway, um, I remember watching Amadeus and, you know, discovering how childish then Mozart was. Yeah. And I thought, yes, he's like that too. Because I, I, I can be very intense when I'm writing. Yeah. But I can also get extremely giddy and childish. And I thought that was just a bit of artistic uh, license. I don't know, but no, I can f- I can be silly. But you, you I can be be childish, and that's the magic. Sure. Children are magic because they don't they don't analyze the way adults do. We're nearly destroyed when we get to our teens, yeah. unless we have a healthy teenage yeah. uh, teenage transition, because we overanalyze everything it's like uh, I remember watching the cat one day and the cat jumped from the from the post up to the eve in the house didn't even think about it now if that if I was the cat I'd be thinking okay well what if I jump and I fall what if I break my neck what if I do this what that I think that's our problem as uh, us as creatures <laughs> sure we overanalyze we think we overthink we get in our own way we get in our own way all the time and I think we just need to play more yeah and, and do you know what I mean like, you know, what occurs to me Bloody chickens! <laughs> what, what occurs to me, like when you're just, you know, you're talking about that, to maybe go from, you know, being very intense and focused in mm. the writing and presumably in the painting yes, as well when you're absolutely. doing that, and then to realize, oh, but this is actually, I've, I could feel giddy or I could be moving to a very kind of, you know, to, to something that's full of kind of levity and yeah, silliness. Yes. And so when I hear that, I'm like, well, yeah, but what, what we're opening up is a creative channel. Yes. And. We're giving ourselves permission yes. to move yes. with, well, where is this taking me? Yes. And it's not necessarily about adopting the pose of, no, now I'm... Yeah. Because yeah. Yes. it's so important to be able to just kind of, you know, to to, you know, to, to move on the water. Absolutely. Of, of, of that creativity. And I mean, it doesn't matter what, what your creativity is. Yeah. Even if your creativity is, is shouting yeah. or singing a song, <laughs> get it out there. Yeah. Do you know? Get it out there. Yeah, that's not creative. That's, that, <laughs> that's just a pain in my ass. Now, listen, I want to go back to this idea of play um, because we haven't got into the kind of the meat of your story yes. yet. We're, we're, we're kind of talking yes. around it. Yes. Now, let's be, like as you said at the start, mm-hmm. it's you're, you're, you're telling your story through your childhood self. Mm. And the picture on the front cover of the book is this, uh, <laughs> this grinning girl you're know, looking upwards mm. an old black and white photo 
um, from, I presume this is from the mid-70s. Yes. It would have been, what, five-ish yeah. or so in that? I was actually about six there. Six, yeah. 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 Um, and this, I think, is one of the things that comes across so uh, powerfully in the book mm. is, you know, little Ashling yes. um, and her capacity for play. Yes. and her capacity to engage in the, the world of the imagination yes. um, and obviously in the context of the harrowing situations that were happening mm. in the household mm. the this ability to play mm. becomes more poignant more moving and more evocative because mm. certainly as I read it knowing you know getting a stronger sense of the story you're kind of going well like this is the escape oh yeah this is the safe place um and one image in particular um you know there's lots of great little scenarios of play and playing with the lads you know down the fields Mm, and that's right you know ended up with the bike in the river by the strawberry beds and stuff like that but i actually really liked the there's something so tender and caring about you when you're finding the pebbles yes. that had kind of fallen off the, the edge of the path or into the puddle. Um, I can't remember the, the, the specific That's nature right. of it. That's but right. you'd be walking along and you go, oh, That's right. you know, there's the little pebbles. I'll just, I was going to put them nice and gently back That's up right. here, back in a nice little safe That's place. Right. And right. as I was reading it, I was like, right, so this is, this is what, this is what Ash wants. Ash wants someone to take her out of the puddle. Yes. And put her up on the side of the path safely and I just thought oh like it's heartbreaking but it's also beautiful and I think you know it, it, like I, I, after I finished reading the book I mean I was reflecting on it over the next couple of days and I was going like this is like this is a, you know it's a story of such triumph ultimately that's how I felt it was like you know to, to overcome what you had to overcome like this is a hero journey you know, to get through all of that stuff that was going on um, and emerge at no little cost, but to emerge victorious. I was like, like this is a movie, you know, and I was thinking, you know, I, I, I remember like I, I showed the book to my wife and she's like, oh God, I, I don't know if I could handle that. Um, like I know that's going to be a tough read. And I was thinking, gosh, like is this, this is this kind of, you know, subgenre of Irish non-fiction, the kind of the harrowing memoir of, you know, terrible childhood and, you know, something like Angela's Ashes. You know, of course, it's this huge international phenomenon. And, you know, it, 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 you know, people take it, they take the idea, they take these kind of broad brushstrokes and then they, they render them as kind of cliche and stereotype. And it's, it, it, does, it, it, does, it does the stories a disservice. Um... And I kind of thought, well, no, I mean, like that's, you know, maybe the way, maybe the way Angela's Ashes ended up being rendered as, you know, as a movie kind of affected how it was received, you know, beyond the book. Um, but I just kind of thought, well, hold on a second. Like, you know, you know, how do we make this real? Like how, how, I mean, if this was to become, and this is just me, you know, this is like the, we're, we're supposed to be purely hypothetical here. But I was kind of going, well, look, all you need to do is be faithful to the book to make that a great story on screen. And if you can tap into some of what we're just talking about, almost the magical realism 
Now this has been touched on in other movies like uh, Emma, Dun- Emma, Emma Donoghue's Womb and you know the, the, the imagination of that child in captivity. Um, but I think it's a, there's a parallel here in your story. Mm. Um, and yeah. it's in, in a way like for me it's the, the like it's the I don't, I don't want to say the saving grace of the story because like, that that kind of in a way you know invalidates or suggests that the rest of the story wouldn't be worthwhile but there's something about and you can speak to this now there's something about your spirit in you know little ash there's something about the spirit of that child that in spite of how extreme her situation was she was always kind of reaching for the light is how I sort of felt it. And it comes across really clearly in the book, I felt. And, you know, that's exactly it, Dara. I mean, look, when I was a child, I was so scared. Mm. I mean, there were times when I used to, you know, kids would go to bed and they'd pray that they, they pray that they wake up the next day. Mm. There were times when I used to pray that I wouldn't wake up the next day. Mm. And this was when I was a very young child. And, um, you know, I used to keep... Um, razor blade that's right um side bed and i always knew that well look you know what if i don't make it until i'm 16 there's a way out and you know i i just looked on it it was very kind of cut and dry well it's either i'm going to do that or i'm going to 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 stay alive and there was a there was a drive in me to stay alive because i always thought to myself you know i'm here for a reason mm. even though my mother had this mantra don't you ever forget you're nothing you mm. never wear anything and you never will be anything i always f- thought to myself no I, I i no i am here for a reason i didn't know what reason but i knew i was yeah. here for a reason and i just constantly drew and drew and drew and in every single picture i had this big yellow sun and the rolling hills yeah you know and this big big bright yellow sun and that's what was keeping me going the horizon funny enough I had this huge affinity to horizons and sunsets mm. and I was fascinated by no matter how bad your day is yeah the sun is going to rise yeah and that that was a huge motivation for me and my imagination actually that was my safe place mm. that was my coat of armour but I actually went when I went into the roads of you know Batman, Superman, Dracula. Yeah. And I, I, I seriously, I, re, I actually became those people. And they were, they were the people who could uh, do all these magical things. And I, I was, I, I was Batman. Yeah. You know, um, I was the detective. And those, you know, as regards that everything I came across had a pulse to it. You know, this, it's strange, you know, it's not strange, but it's wonderful that you say there about the pebbles affected you. Mm. The amount of people who have said to me, oh my God, I was so struck by the pebbles yeah. in the laneway. And I actually looked on, and funny enough to this day, I was only down in Kerry there last week, and uh, you know, I came across, a, um, it was actually a hedgehog um, on the road, and uh, yeah, I had to pick that hedgehog up and put it over to the, to the verge, you know. Uh, my dog killed a little bird, and I was so upset a few weeks ago, 
And like that, the bird was left on the road and I had to pick up the bird even though it was dead and put it on the soft verge. So to this day, I, I, I need everything to, to just mm. lay on something soft and be safe, even though the thing might be dead. Yeah. And the pebbles had a pulse. They were alive. To me, they were alive. And I had to put them on the verge, mm. you know. And it's funny, I, I have a, we have a wormery in the shed. Yeah. You know, and every weekend I take the lid off and I'm putting in the, the, uh, the peelings. And, uh, you know, the odd worm might fall out. Oh, I have to so gently <laughs> get that worm back up yeah. and put it in. It's like, it's, it's not like I have this uh, need to care or be responsible for everything. Mm. But everything to me is alive. And actually it is. Sure. We are we are those stones. We're made up of, of we, we are made up of the same atoms. Yeah. So in actual fact, I wasn't that far off when I was a kid. I was actually more in tune then than yeah. I probably am now. The stones are part of us. They're made up of the same stuff. Yeah. But yeah, this the stones and actually I have a very um I have a huge big stone in in, in my sitting room. It's a very flat um stone. And whenever I feel I I, I need to maybe if <laughs> I feel my OCD is getting a wee bit wobbly. I put my hand on that cold stone mm. and it kind of grounds me. Yeah. Do you know? Yeah. Or I might go out, I might take off my shoes and socks and uh, just, yeah, stand on the grass. Yeah, it's connection. Be, yeah. It's connection to something yeah. concrete yeah. and it's texture. It just kind well. of uh, it just kind of roots me, I yeah, suppose. Yeah, exactly. But, um, but yeah, look, when I was a kid, like I say, I, I had so much, I was so afraid, especially during these violent outbursts mm. and this idea of, Am I going to die tonight? Yeah. That was my reality. My reality was getting from hour to hour. Will I die tonight? Is this the night I'm going to die or sure. the day I'm going to die? I always... <sighs> I was either going to die or I wasn't. Yeah. You know. If you're enjoying what you're hearing on The Clear Out in this episode or any other episode you've listened to, please... Give some thought to supporting what I'm doing here. If you go to the description of this episode, wherever you're listening to the podcast, you should find uh, a supporter link. And through that link, you can make a one-time contribution to the show to support me, to support this independent podcast which I put a lot of work into and love doing um, and it would help me enormously to receive any support at all. Um, You can also become a patron of the show if you go to patreon.com forward slash the clear out. There you can become a regular contributor to the show for a small contribution you can help keep this thing going and the simplest way to think about it is if this is something that you find entertaining if it's something that you find valuable if you find it uplifting if you find it motivating if you find it diverting or interesting then ask yourself what price would you put on that is it worth a couple of euros in a cup that might be a way to think about it so 
once again if you like what i'm doing here please just give it some thought you don't have to i understand times are tight for many of us it's a choice but if you have that extra few bob and you think you know what this is actually a quality product and i'm happy to contribute to it the supporter link or else patreon.com forward slash the clear out thanks so much and now back to the show and listen let's just let's just because we haven't been yes. specific but yes. we'll, we'll just clarify there um you know you, you just referred to violent uh, outbursts yes. what we're talking about here is and you know we can't spin this any other way no your mother was the antagonist mm. in this story mm. of your childhood mm. and your mother was persistently violent mm. and seemed to take an enormous amount of pleasure at times in tormenting you and that was verbal abuse but yes it was physical Absolutely. and you um, I mean, I, 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 you know, right now in the second, I'm kind of going right. I, I, I don't want to undersell this, mm. but basically, she would frequently punch you in the side of the head. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, amongst other things. Yes. And again, like, I mean, I, I, I don't want to. I mean, we spoke before we went on on uh, on air, mm. but I mean, I don't want to kind of do loads of you know loads of spoilers. Yeah. But there are so many incidents mm. that you describe. Um, you know, in your childhood, of your mother being physically violent, uh, mm. both to you and to your your father, mm. um, and it's you, you said before we were when we were talking about Ireland, and you said like obviously you know you said as a child like you didn't think in social terms. Mm. And I was thinking to myself, yeah, of course not. Because mm. <laughs> no child is going, ah, so this is part of a larger Catholic repression. Yes. A child is just in survival yes. mode. Yes. And a child is just like, what's going to happen next? Yes. And, and I now. think, you know, yet again, you read the book and mm. you're reminded again and again and again of, you know, a, a child's, of children's extraordinary capacity to mm. survive and adapt yes and to kind of front up with a certain amount of hope mm. which you know the more extreme a situation mm. is you think there is no hope mm. and you're pretty close to mm. the most extreme situations yeah. i mean you know I, I don't know what could be worse if you were a child soldier or mm. something and mm. um, we are talking about horrific physical abuse mm. And ultimately, in some of the, you know, even you know, if, if it can get worse, yes, um, horrendous incidences of uh, horrendous instances of sexual abuse. Yes. yes. Um, so, to me, I'm kind of going like you pick up, the, you know, the rudiments of psychology and child psychology, and you learn very quickly that. There's something called ACEs, isn't it? Adverse childhood events. Mm. And they can be permanently debilitating mm. to a child's development, to their brain function. Oh, absolutely. Um, and you know, we, 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 we'll oh, get there eventually yeah, yes, because you yes, obviously yes, found yourself yes. as you emerged into later adolescence yes. 
and your early 20s going I've got all these feelings and um, you know traumatic kind of aftershock that you couldn't handle Um, and you had to negotiate all of that Um, so I tell you what, it, I mean, I, that, there wasn't really a question in that. I'm kind of just trying to lay out, like, this is such a, you know, these are defining aspects of the story. And this is the sort of the, you know, the, 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 the kind of the meat and bones of the story. Like, this is what you were dealing with. Absolutely. But, you know, it's strange, Dara. It's when things were calm and quiet in the house, it was nearly worse. Mm. Because I was, it was the waiting. Sure. It was the waiting. When's it going to kick off? And I found, strangely enough, the physical beatings I could almost handle. Well, I'm actually, I'm deaf in one ear because mm-hmm. of the physical beatings. Yeah. Um, I also have other, um, I have some neurological um, issues also. Yeah. Um, from, from beatings about the head. Um, and, you know, I would have ongoing, I'd have problems with uh, motion sickness, um, bright sense, a lot of sensory issues. Yeah. And, um, I find bright lights very difficult. I found I find a lot of loud noise very difficult. Sure. And um, yeah, like I say, it, it was the it was the quiet moments. And I remember going to a friend's house one day, and you know, we, they were offering me some food, and they were speaking to each other. They were handing. Mary, would you like some of this? Mm-hmm. These aren't their real names. Mary, would you, would you like some of this? And John, would you mind passing the thing? And I'm thinking, it actually made me very un- unnerved and very anxious because I thought, okay, when when's it going to kick off? Yeah. When, when is this going to kick off? I actually felt more comfortable in my own home because that was the norm. Yeah. I couldn't handle this other situation because it wasn't, the, the, it just wasn't the norm. Um, so yeah that, that you know that was the, that yeah. was the really strange that's when I realised I think I was about 12 at that stage 13 and I thought to myself wow this is a this is a, a different kind of a world that that, that I'm in mm. and yeah like I say you know it, it's the psychological aspect of, of my mother's um, approach to me you could say I found very difficult you know the night when uh, say she was reciting uh Shakespeare. Yes. My mother was very she was very high IQ, she was a very educated woman. She um she, you know, she loved Shakespeare, she loved reading, she was an avid reader. And uh you know, she'd be reciting Shakespeare and it would get louder and louder and it could go on till two or three in mm. the morning. And uh in the end I remember just getting so frustrated and saying, Just go to bed. Yeah. You know? And uh not gonna spoil it but uh yeah she there was a there was a she followed up on that and it was quite an experience but at this i think again we're not we're not gonna spoil too much but like Mm. this was a um like your your mother's modus operandi seemed to be driven to it, it wasn't it didn't seem to be haphazard. She seemed to be very specific and know exactly what she was doing when she chose to punish you or just keep you in place. So apart from reminding you, you're nothing, you never will be, I can get you anytime I want, threatening you with the butcher knife, 
um, that's right. that story of when she was tenderizing the meat in the kitchen that's right. you know and what that's happened right. next um, that's right. you know taking you to the, the church to the confessional that's that right. story that's right. um, and then one I mean one story that is it's sort of uh, it's this kind of reprieve from all the horribleness mm. where your mother surprises you and says let's go and get a, a new bicycle that's right and off you go up north and yeah. she was she getting a lawnmower as well that's right that idea? a self-drive lawnmower and um, you know and she spoke to you on the driveway yeah. about your, your late father yeah. and how they'd met and you were surprised that she was quite open yeah. and not cranky about mm. it and then you're like this is and then taken into the shop mm. and, oh, off you go get yourself a bike like mm. is this really happening mm. and then <laughs> and then your mother's like she leaves the shop and she's like Jesus I can't fit the lawnmower and That's the bike right. in the car and get through right. the, the border crossing right. for customs. That's right. So, and your mother basically, this is like, this is, and I kind of go, this is funny stuff. I know. And it doesn't, I mean, obviously, because we know it's your mother, there, yeah. there, there's still a bit of a dark yes. undercurrent. Oh, yeah. But at the same time, you go, that's a very believable scenario because yes. basically your mother says, listen, take the bike, head off down there, down yeah. the road, and you find your way over yeah. the border and get back to the main road yeah. and I'll see you yeah. however long that takes. Oh, yeah. And you're like, what? Yeah. And you're set off. And I'm coming on, but yeah. But uh, you can imagine a lot of Irish parents doing that. I was just going to say, Dara, look, in the 70s and 80s, <laughs> it was like, get out and I don't want to see you until after dark. Well, yeah, you know what, 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 what the was, Americans call latchkey kids. Yeah. And you know what? In a sense, I think there was great freedom in that. Yeah. To put a light, a lightness yeah. to it. Well, imagine if you didn't have that freedom. If you hadn't oh, had that freedom oh. and weren't able to get out the fields and go off and muck around with the lads. Well, to be honest with you, I don't think I would... I think I could well be incarcerated now at this stage. Yeah. No, I mean that. I, no, I believe you. Um, I'd be incarcerated at this stage or I would be institutionalised, well institutionalised. That would have completely broken me if I didn't have that connection to nature. Yeah. I mean, yeah, cycle, over, cycle around the border, do do do. But you know what? It was great crack. Yeah. Because again, I went into my head. Yeah. Like I say in the book, you know, I... I put my, my hands on those whatever but what the handlebars of my yeah. first experience of having yeah. a racer and I thought Jesus yeah I'm now I'm, an, I'm on a racer I'm in a race I'm in France or somewhere yeah, you know yeah. and that's yeah. I could have been killed I had the clue where I was going and I remember kind of following the sun that was the only like you didn't have sat nav there was no mobile phones <laughs> and you're on your own and you know what yeah asked a few people where's the road to Dublin and I was yeah. just lucky nobody threw me in the back of a van and took yeah. me off somewhere off I went and I got there and sure yeah sure mum you but imagine there. the thing is you know at that time in a way people probably wouldn't have thought twice like no. nowadays someone would go you're coming with me we're ringing house social welfare we're ringing child services absolutely. we're ringing the guards absolutely and where's your mummy or where's absolutely. your daddy but again like I said earlier society wasn't set up yeah um, it wasn't equipped to to look out for red flags mm. like that yeah you know um yeah, and but you know what? There, it just shows you, Mammy. I mean, she was hugely independent, Ari. You know, yeah. she really, really was. And I mean, she held, she kept the house going. She worked full time. There was never a bill left unpaid. Yeah, you said that you know, very responsible financially. So independent. She never looked for anyone's advice. And I yeah. have to say, I really admire that about the woman. While she had huge um, mental health issues. Well, I, I, I think this is what's so interesting about the story because. It would have been far less. It would have been. It would. It would have been just as harrowing. But it would. Have, it would have been far less interesting, if you just kind of demonized your mother, um, and it would have just been this kind of one-dimensional villain, 
Um, but actually, she's you know you, you do a great job of humanizing her, and it's a you know I think it's a great testament to your own character and your own journey that you were ultimately able to step back and go you know I see where this has come from, um, and to you know your your sort of your compassion, um, is very clear, and I think what I like about that is there's a complexity and there's nuance and there's grey areas and there's inherent conflict um, within that but to me that speaks to the reality of trauma and the reality of toxic familial relationships and it speaks to how difficult it is to negotiate uh, your emergence from that with a level of functioning emotional intelligence and self-compassion but what uh, yeah and I, and, I, and I feel that you mm. managed to achieve that um which is which is phenomenal like it's it's, it's extraordinary Dara, i was very lucky yeah you know this isn't you know and i'm aware that i'm very very lucky well number one to have come out alive but to come out alive and to have followed the path that I want, the healthy path that I wanted to follow, I always knew that this situation was not right, mm. that it was not normal. I don't know how, yeah. but I just knew this was not normal and this was not the life that I wanted. Um, I, I did not want to go down the same road as my mother or my father. Yeah. Um, but I have to say, I did a huge amount of work before I did my, my BSE in counselling and psychotherapy. I did a huge amount of, I, I was the, 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 I was the client I did go for an awful lot of yeah. counselling years ago yeah. actually after I had a breakdown on the M50 that's right which you um, described in the book very well yeah. and I went for a huge amount of counselling and through that counselling I which was completely unexpected came from nowhere I forgave my mother yeah and I can't describe the freedom that that has given me mm. and a lot of people find that hard to understand they say how could you possibly forgive you know how could you well what if i didn't forgive i was just going to end up with this horrible weight and it would have just this bitterness and anger i would have been i mean look i i have um you know i've I've lots of ocd um i used to have a lot of panic attacks before but i was also quite i could have been quite um I used to get terribly frustrated and angry and look, I used to punch the walls, yep. solid walls when I was a, a teenager and it was great because, well it wasn't great, I damaged my wrists, um, but nobody could hear me. Yeah. So I had a huge amount of frustration and if I, if I wasn't lucky enough to forgive my mother years ago, where would that have frustration no, have manifested I, the, itself? It could have, you know, I could have, it could have come out, it, it would have just come out very negatively as I got older. Well, you're, you're, if you don't manage to achieve that, um, you know, that forgiveness, you, you remain tethered to, to all of the beats of the trauma, Absolutely. all of the anger, all of the rage, Absolutely. all of the, the fear, uh, the anxiety, and it's the way I think about it is if you can't get released from that you're allowing it to define you ah do you know what that's the secret you nailed it there because by forgiving 
my mother, I was able to completely see her as a separate person. Sure. And in seeing her as a separate person, I was able to see her as a human being, mm. as somebody flesh and blood who had her story. Yeah. And I wanted to validate herself as a human being, you know, not demonize her. Yeah. Her, her, her issues were mental health. Yeah. But where did that you know where did that manifest itself from i mean she had a tough um you know she came from a family business and a very very strong work ethic yeah tough parents but again work 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 mm. you know and maybe their parents would say again this generational but that, um, like that ended up being a strength of your mother's though didn't it it actually did but you know in a, in a sense maybe maybe i just maybe i got some bit of my strength from my mother and her independence yeah in a strange way you know but what i wanted to break by writing this book was that generational bitterness that anger and that's why my forgiveness of 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 mammy i can i can now visit mammy and and sit with her as an older i don't see her i don't relate to her as a mother and i never did no. because my mother i don't ever remember my mother hugging me or or, no. or um you know there was none of that so i have no i have no um how would you say i have no marking point i i visit her as as an older person who needs company yeah and i chit chat to her and it, and it's absolutely fine mm. you know um it's fine it's it's i can separate the two i can separate the person i visit now yeah. to 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 the person that that i that um i lived with but the effects, the physical effects, and um, psychological effects of, of my experience, will be with me forever. Yeah. Um. And look, yeah, I'm abs- I'm, I'm just lucky to be alive. You know. Oh, you are. Um, you are. Just to, to, to go back to your, your mother for a mm, second. Mm. Um. Now, obviously, there late in the story, there's a bit of a revelation that, in a way, it's it's not the whole story, but mm. it gave you just a, a bit of a, a piece of the puzzle mm. that allowed you to go, oh, okay, this was one of her, one of your mother's traumatic events. Mm. Um, we, we don't need to reveal that here. Yeah. I think, you know, yes. read the book and find yes. out. Um, and it wasn't, you know, that particular event wasn't, um, wasn't uncommon, let's say, at that time in Ireland. Um, I mean, I'm kind of hinting at something there, but I found myself kind of thinking, well, and you know you, you sort of alluded to it there a second ago you know like you know, what was at the the, the the root of her anger and her mental health unwellness her mental health kind of dysfunction mm-hmm. and the you know what fueled the, the rage what fueled the, the 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 desire to inflict violence um what fueled the the desire to um uh, to sort of obliterate herself in in alcohol habitually um because that to me you've got this whole other side of your mother that's like highly functional as you said absolutely and, you know, the high iq absolutely. The, the, the family business background mm-hmm. fiercely independent mm-hmm. fiercely capable mm-hmm. educated mm-hmm. and i i found myself in the you know reading the book and i was kind of going, so you know i'm, tr- I'm trying to kind of psychoanalyze your mother yeah, as i'm reading yeah. the book and kind of going you know this resentment like did she feel irish society has kind of thwarted me it won't mm. let me go any further mm. i should be x y z i should be elsewhere maybe i could be in england maybe i could be 
you know, running a section of a hospital as the head mm-hmm. nurse. Mm-hmm. Um, mm. And, you know, she'd had her other children mm. and you were still there. Um, she'd lost a, a baby right. before you came right. along. That's this, right. you know, you, you offered this sort of idea that, you know, as a child of thinking, Jesus, you know, maybe I could have had a little ally. Maybe mm. I could have had that older sibling to kind of keep an eye mm. on me. We, you know, we would have been a little team. Yeah. Maybe it would have been, that would have been a different dynamic. Yeah. So maybe your mother was channeling, you know, grief. Um, yes. But I, one of the, one idea I had, I was kind of going, you know, your sunny disposition, let's call it, that's, mm. not, that's not too naff, mm. but like mm. your evident um, ability to find joy, your evident uh, love of nature, your, your, mm. your playfulness, your openness, your relationship with, with art, the, the lovely relationship you depict with your father. Yes. Um, all of that's there. And to me, if you're an unhappy person um, and you're looking at, you know, let's call you a product of mm. that person, I would just find myself wondering again and again, like, was your mother resentful of your resilience? Was she resentful of your happiness? Was she resentful of your your natural kind of disposition towards maybe positivity, optimism, openness, playfulness. Mm. I wonder if that was in the mix. It's like, I'm not happy. You're not going to be happy Absolutely. either. Absolutely. And I think that's where the mantra, don't you ever forget you're nothing. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Because, you know, it just struck me when you were saying there, um, is, you know, I was, I won't say too much actually, but, um, well, yeah, look, I will. I, I was diagnosed with mental handicapped when I was 10. Mental yeah. handicapped when I was 10. Um, it was a misdiagnosis. Um, Did they say handicapped or retarded? Was mentally, that it was actually, it was men- mentally retarded. Yeah, um, like an extraordinary absolutely kind of <laughs> misdiagnosis. The problem was I was just very quiet in school. Um, I was crap at reading and writing I didn't know my address but the only reason I didn't know my address was because I just didn't go in the front door <laughs> I went in the back door so I actually That's didn't know the number it? in the house so yeah. I wouldn't mind that <coughs> um, my reading and writing the problem there was I was actually so scared constantly that by the time I got into school Dara I was actually exhausted mm. I was physically exhausted sure. because I, I, you know I, I was probably awake half the night trying to keep daddy alive or mammy alive or whatever yeah. it was I didn't, you know, by the time I got into school, I was so scared, I actually couldn't take in education. I couldn't relax enough to take in what the teacher was saying. Sure. So after I'd been diagnosed as mentally retarded, um, I was very, very close to um, being, a, that's right, put into um, an institution. Yeah. And if I had been put into an institution within six months, I could have been rocking in front of a television screen yeah. and I would have been dependent. Maybe I could have had people feeding me or whatever. But on the back of that diagnosis and the, the special... Remedial, exactly. Now, the, I was just coming to that. Yeah. There was a... And I don't know what they called it in the 70s and then it was remedial learning. But anyway, this uh, teacher stepped in to give me remedial classes and I will never forget it. Funny, I don't remember the content of the classes, but mm. it didn't matter. No. It didn't matter if we sat there for half an hour and did nothing. Now, we did a lot, but it didn't matter. It was the fact that there was a constant. This woman was in the same mm. room at the same time, at the same day, every single week. And that's all I needed mm. was a constant. And she, had, she gave me her undivided attention for that, yeah. whatever, half hour. And it was just about... 
herself and myself. And that's all I needed was somebody just to give me a little bit of, of, of undivided attention. Now, that within, within oh, I can't remember, but it wasn't long I excelled then in that's reading right. and writing because she instilled in me, reinstilled in me, my faith in human beings. Yeah. Now, my siblings did their best, absolutely. They did their, but the thing is, they were, they, look, they had their own lives. Yeah. Um, they, they, were, they were trying to survive themselves. Um, there was only a couple living at home when I was, you, you know, um, whatever, nine or 10 years yeah. of age. And, and then they were, they were, by the time I was 11, everybody was gone. Yeah. So, there was no way was I going to ask my mother or father for help or support with homework or anything like that. So I, I just didn't have any of that at home. But the one, what I'm, the point I'm coming to is, the, the day I went to the remedial teacher and I said, okay, I'm here. And she said, no, 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 Ashley. And she said, will you help me set up today? And I said, why are we not? And she said, no, no. Yeah. She said, you don't need to come to me anymore. Yeah. When the bell rang at the end of that day, I burst home and I remember running in the back door and I said to Maddie, don't need to go anymore. I don't need to go anymore. Yeah. And I got a yeah, I, I got a mug of tea thrown at me and smashed right. against the door. And I was lucky enough that I was able to dodge it and I ran out. Yeah. But it didn't matter. I thought to myself, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what mommy thinks. Yeah. Wow, I'm like everybody else now. I'm not mentally retired. Yeah. Do you know? Yeah. Um, but come, again, to your, sorry and I, I went around about there, but I think there was a huge amount of resentment on mommy's part. Yeah. That who do you think you are? Yeah. Of course, she should have been delighted. Her child just said, I don't need to do any more remedial. Wouldn't you, as a parent, mm. be absolutely over the moon? But instead, her reaction was, don't you think you're above yourself? Goes yeah. back to that, you know. And this, is, this, is, this, is the, this is the drama yes. of the story. Because yes. I, I think in psychological terms, the, that remedial teacher would be um, the, the person of secure attachment. Oh. So, Absolutely. as you said, you know, the, the person, I can depend on this person. This is a safe place. Ah. This person approves of me. And I think, again, you were like, you know, you were blessed that you had the capacity to recognize that. And you wouldn't have articulated it. You wouldn't have described Absolutely. it that way. You were like, oh, cool. And okay. And now they've actually taken me to this better place and gone, you're grand. Yes. On you go on your good little journey. You're just as educable as everybody else in this school. But the role of teachers, yeah. is, the role of, look, the role of anybody, any caregiver responsible for children mm. and teenagers, be they teachers, social workers, youth workers, their role is pivotal. And yeah. I was only speaking to a, a teacher there a couple of days ago. She works with uh, very young kids and she, she was I, she was just so passionate about yeah. the way she spoke to her kids and I said you have no, I said maybe you do but I said you may you may not have any idea how important your role is for young children sure and it could be just that one kind word of encouragement and that was the thing that that my remedial teacher gave me it was that encouragement yeah encouragement you give a child a little bit of encouragement and it, 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 it just weighs so much. It's, but it, but it, it comes back to what, you know, what we, we spoke earlier about that feeling you had of being unseen and ignored at your father's funeral. And when the adult world kind of turns its gaze and goes, I see you. That's it. And That's it. it might only be a beat. It might only Ugh. be a moment. 
but suddenly you're you know you're ten feet tall. You're validated. Go, I'm here. You're validated. I'm not crazy. I'm not ah, imagining this. Listen, it's your mark. It's 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 like you know I, I worked for people with uh, learning disabilities years ago, and um, I remember there was a woman. She was nonverbal. And it took a couple of weeks for her to trust. I used to, you know, I set up the table with the paints and all the rest of it. I had on a relaxing music, do not disturb sign on the door. Yeah. The room's well ventilated. It was a safe space. So I had her place set up with brushes and paints and all the rest. And I painted away and let her pace around the room. And eventually she sat down and she picked up the brush she chose. Yeah. She dipped it in the colour she chose. Yeah. And she just made a mark across the page and looked at me in the eye and yeah. laughed. It was like winning the lottery. Yeah, sure. That mark she made was her saying, here I am. It's agency. Here I yeah. am. I feel safe enough. Yeah. You've given, you have accommodated the space for I me loved, to feel I safe. I loved that passage in the book when you were describing, safe. describing those experiences. But you know what? That was, that was on a bigger scale, that, that was the experience that I had with my remedial teacher. And I was yeah. so lucky. It's in the book. But my remedial teacher... I discovered after 40 years I met her yeah and uh, you know she was saying I only met her there a couple of years ago and she said Sh- 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 I did nothing Sh- you know you yeah. had the you had the resilience and the push I said no she actually brought me through life because anytime mm. I came to a sticky situation in life I've had about three breakdowns um, throughout my life yeah and um, anytime I felt do you know what I, I don't know if I have the will I'm actually bet here. Yeah. I, I actually don't know if, yeah. I, if I really have the energy to keep oh, going. The effort. Yeah, the effort. Exactly, yeah. The effort. Yeah. Whenever I felt like that, Dara, I thought of my remedial teacher. And I thought, yeah, she believed in me. Exactly. She believed in me. And that's where we'll leave part one of my interview with Ashley Cregan. So, yeah, I think you'll agree with me that we covered a bit of ground. And yeah, we got into some, we got into some stuff there. Um, but Ashleen speaks so clearly um, and honestly about her experience that uh, I think it's just well worth well worth hearing. And I can't I can't recommend the book enough. I think it's a it's a terrific read, um, and I hope even on the back of listening to the first part of this interview, I hope you're encouraged uh, to go out and get yourself a copy. Uh, I have a feeling you're going to be seeing a bit more of Ashling uh, across across Irish media um, as more people pick up on her story and um, invite her to, to, to speak about it. So I was very lucky very lucky this was the first uh, podcast interview that she did a little bit of a scoop for the clear out and um it was a very very rewarding experience so tune in next week next week in part two we're going to cover more of ashling's story um her her journey into sort of late adolescence and Finally, finding a bit of independence from her mother, going to going to art college, being in her first long term relationship, um, and then negotiating her her sexuality and continuing on her journey through life um, as this uh, this 
great example of resilience and courage and determination and survival so tune in next week for part two and hear myself and Ashling bring the uh, bring the story to a to a conclusion um yeah i'll uh, i'll see you then uh don't forget as always uh you can reach out to me and to the clear out on social media you can find me on instagram and facebook and youtube as the clear out podcast you can find me on twitter at the clear out too and if you care to send me an email you can do so at the clear out live at gmail.com and i'd welcome welcome your comments your feedback at any time if you like what you hear please please spread the word please pass this on to someone else you think might enjoy it and spread the love uh yeah great stuff okay thanks very much thanks for listening i hope you enjoyed what you heard today and come back next week for part two of the interview with ashton all the best mind yourselves take care bye